0: care of you or somebody will take care of you back there. All right. Okay, I need your help with a couple items. One is um, I have lost a brown working jacket with a hood on it and pockets. And a lot of times when I visit people and I visit places like Perkins or the hospital, I take my coat off and then I forget to put it back on again. So if you would pray for my brown coat to show up, it's a, it's a favorite of mine. It's a work coat, and, you know, it probably costs about $900 new, but I got it at the thrift store for about $5. But it's a very good coat. It's, you know how you have a favorite pair of shoes? That's a favorite coat of mine. So pray that my brown coat will show up. Another thing that you can help me with is we've got a couple dozen extra of these calendars that are left, They're they're no good after this year, Okay. <laughs> One one year I went out and I bought, I went to the dollar store, and I saw a whole bunch of really nice calendars for a dollar, so I bought like 30 of them. Well, come to find out, when I went to give one to my uncle, it was the wrong year. I'd given it to, just like the dollar store, to sell me calendars from a year that didn't even count, but we have a couple of dozen of these, and they would be very helpful if you would, they're, they're not any good after, you know, after this year, so if you have one great, well, take an extra one, okay, if you would, and Hanging it in the garage or hang it in your man cave or your lady cave or whatever, and we can uh, take care of that problem as well. So uh, I hope you help with that. <coughs> also, Pastor and I and our families both want to extend a sincere thank you for the uh, cards and the gifts that we got over the holidays. I'm always humbled when I get a gift from the church because you know they pay me to work here anyway, and I, I, I when I get those extra little tips and those extra little treats, it's always a very humbling thing. But Lynn and I, and I'm sure Pastor and Katie, appreciate your generous spirit and your generous heart. So we thank you very much, and uh, for the cards and the letters and and the gifts that were sent in. Um, let's see what else do I want to say here before I get going. Going to be talking to you this morning about the love of God. And in your hymn books, on page 29, uh, is this song, The Love of God. And I was thinking, because of the Christmas season, what would be the best message to share? And it took me a while to come up with this, but with prayer and the Lord's help, The Lord said, well, why don't you give them a lesson on the love of God? And you know, that's a subject you could preach on every Sunday for the next 10 years and not cover it all. So there's just a ton of information. But I want to start by sharing with you this song, The Love of God. And uh, I'm just going to read through it, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and and then we'll get started, okay? Okay. So if you're on page 29 in your hymn book, Frederick M. Lehman wrote this, and he only uh, he only gets credit for the first two stanzas, even though he added the third stanza, but the third stanza was borrowed from a Jewish rabbi, and the third stanza was found on the wall of a, of a jailhouse, and it was written by a Jewish rabbi who was having a tough time during incarceration, evidently. But the songwriter says, the the poet who produced this lovely, lovely song, says, The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Verse 2, when years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall. I got to thinking about our country. Uh, Earthly thrones and kingdoms fall. And our country is on a slippery slope right now because we've forgotten God. When men who hear refuse to pray, sound like our country in a lot of ways, On rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure. He loves them anyway. He loves them always. It says, all measureless and strong, redeeming grace to Adam's race, the saints and angels' song. Now, I uh, I have the history here on that last paragraph, that last stanza. It says here that uh, this is a a book by Alfred Smith, L. Smith, on the history of the hymns. And uh, it talks about the difficulty he had with the third stanza. He says, I went home after writing the first two stanzas, went to the old piano, and with the help of uh, ideas, I began to transcribe the song on paper. Soon he had finished a melody with two stanzas and a chorus, But in those days, a song had to have at least three stanzas to be complete. Somebody has said that today a song is complete with just three words. (laughs) Amen to that. I've heard a few of those. As he tried to write the third stanza, he found that the words just wouldn't fall into place. What would he do? Sometime before, he had heard a poem about the love of God and had been given a copy of it printed on a card. He reasoned if I could only find that poem, because it wonderfully pictures the vastness of God's love. Maybe I could get an idea upon which to build this last stanza. His search was rewarded, for he soon found the card. He had been using it as a bookmark. As Layman read the words, his heart was again thrilled as it had been when he first had read them. He noticed that at the bottom of the card, some smaller but heavier printing gave this story. These words, that would be the third stanza of this song, these these words were found written on a cell wall in a prison some 200 years ago. It is not known why the prisoner was incarcerated, neither is it known if the words were original or if if he had heard them somewhere and had decided to put them in a place where he could be reminded of the greatness of God's love. Whatever the circumstances, he wrote them on the wall of his prison cell. In due time, he died, and the men who had the job of repainting his cell were impressed by the words. Before their paintbrushes had obliterated them, one of the men jotted them down, and thus they were preserved. With poem in hand, Lehman went to the piano, and on the spur of the moment, he began to voice the words to the melody. The words fit perfectly. It's a miracle. Lehman's song was then published with these words as the last stanza. (coughs) Al Smith adds a final comment here. He said, It is within recent years that I have become acquainted with the facts that make the writing of this song an even greater miracle. I have found that the original third stanza was written in Hebrew around the year 1000 by Mir Ben Isaac Nahoria, a Jewish rabbi. I like to feel that God, knowing that Laman was going to write a song, also realized that Laman would have trouble with the third stanza. So he chose a rabbi who, though not accepting Christ as the Messiah, did possess the skills to graphically paint a picture of God's love in words. He would preserve these words, and then hundreds of years later, he would have them translated by this prisoner into a language that did not as yet exist that would be the English language. And to think that he did it in the exact meter to fit Lehman's melody. I think that is a phenomenal history of a phenomenal song. The third verse, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And uh, what a hymn that is, and what a good place to start. Along with 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, I want you to look specifically at verse number 8, and we'll see that God, through his word, declares that he is love. You know, you can learn about love or you can get to know love. Verse 8 of 1 John chapter 4 <coughs> He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And then look at verse 16 of the same chapter. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us, God Is love and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him let's pray father thank you for your great love for us lord we know from your word that greater love hath no man than this than he lay down his life for his friends we know from your word that you are love We understand love from a human perspective, but Lord, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit, through your Holy Word, would teach us more about you and about the love that you are. We know, Lord, that you love us. We know that you always have and you always will. And we pray, Lord, this morning that we would see that clearly through the words of Scripture and through the stories that this preacher shares and tells Now, Lord, I do thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to say what's helpful and beneficial for these dear people for coming out on Sunday morning and to leave out those things that are of no value. We'll thank you as you speak to our hearts now. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, the Bible doesn't say in those two verses that that God was love. And it doesn't say he will be love. It says he is love. And I'm really thankful for the present tense. He is love. Today, right now, he loves us. You say, well, you don't understand what I've done. No, I don't, but God does. And he still loves you. It's always been amazing that God could love a rascal like me. You know, only Lynn probably knows some of the stupid, foolish things I've done in my life. And if I told you some of those, you'd, you'd, you'd stop being my friend. But if God can love a rascal and a snake like me, he can love you, and he does. It doesn't say God was love or God will be love. It says God is love. And what's really interesting is it's unlike man's love. God could live wherever he wanted. He could live on the edge of the Grand Canyon. He could live in California where it's beautiful. Well, not this time of the political season, but he could live in Florida. He could live anywhere. And he chooses to live in here. Isn't that amazing? He chooses to live in here through his son Jesus. That to me is so phenomenal. He moves into our heart when he could live just about anywhere. Somebody has said that if you took a dictionary from 100 years ago and looked up the word atomic, the definition would be about three words long for the atomic bomb. And if you looked up the word love a hundred years ago, it would be about three paragraphs. But today, that has flip-flopped. Today, if you take a modern dictionary, they'll spend three pages telling you about the atomic bomb, and they'll have one short little line about love. And that's not God's plan. That's, that's man's way of superimposing himself over the love of God. God's love is much broader than man's love. God's love is unconditional. Man's love is usually always conditional. Son, I'll love you if you obey me. Young lady, I'll love you, but if you go with that man, I'm not going to love you anymore. And, and a lot of times we say to our mates, honey, I'll love you if you don't do this or if you don't do that. God's love is unconditional. And it's important that you understand that your mama might love you, your daddy might love you, your mate might love you, but nobody loves you like God loves you. He knows all about you and he loves you. And men in jail and women in jail and men in trouble and women in trouble across this planet are just looking for somebody to love them. And you and I have the great privilege of sharing the message of the gospel and telling them, look, God loves you. Your mama probably doesn't love you and your daddy probably doesn't love you, but you can be assured of one thing, God loves you. Well, I'm on death row. God still loves you. Well, I killed somebody. God still loves you. God's love is unconditional. He gives it to us in a miraculous and a fabulous way. Now, there's basically three kinds of love mentioned in the Bible, I call one of them the generic love, like I love Pizza Hut and Pizza Hut closed. Oh, I feel terrible about that. Of course, my my doctor says it's probably a good thing, okay? My wife loves Starbucks. That's generic love. Some people love a white Christmas. Some people love a brown Christmas. It's generic love. And then there's another kind of love that's a brotherly love, where we get our word Philadelphia. Philadelphia. We love the pastor. He's our brother in the Lord, and he's our leader at brotherly love. Uh, We love the other people in the church that are believers. It's it's a brotherly love. And it's it's not like family love. It's different, because the blood of Christ is unique and special. You know, what's interesting to me is I can travel halfway around the world, land in Germany, and spend five minutes talking to a brother or sister in Christ, And it feels like they're a blood relative, because in in reality, they are. The blood of Christ has made that relationship special and unique. And, And it's only the blood of Christ that can do that. You can go to Japan, sit down with a believer, and if you could translate and understand Japanese, you'd have a lovely time. Why? Because the blood of Christ does that. It sheds the love abroad in our hearts, and we're able to experience brotherly love. But then there's a premium brand of love, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. The premium brand of love is the agape love. It's the love of God. It's like no other. Now, God does love America, even though America, in a lot of ways, is behaving like uh, like Gomer of the Old Testament, and uh, Hosea was taught to love her anyway. And uh, America has committed adultery in their love for sports, in their love for pleasure, in their love for money, their love for popularity, their love for liquor, their love for sex, their love for movies. And the devil has robbed us of appreciating God's love. And we are at a loss in a country When we start to love things more than truth, when we start to love the false gods and the false prophets that have eyes that can't see, ears that can't hear, hands that can't work, we we worship a false God over the real God. But God still loves us. Even though we're number one in the world for probably abortions, we're probably number one in the world for for, uh, soliciting pornography, we're probably number one in the world for gambling. America has a lot of a lot of interesting titles but they don't impress God because God is love and 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 people sometimes we fall for those false gods and and the god of self and we end up worshipping and loving ourselves more than we love God. We we worship sports and athletes more than we love God. Sometimes we worship the preacher more than we love God. And God says look I'm love and I, I you know I think what he's saying, I'd appreciate it if you understand that. I love you, and I just want you to love me. And and that's what it's all about. The whole world seems today focused on COVID and the cure and the cash, their stimulus check. When our Heavenly Father just wants us to appreciate his love. You know, COVID is no surprise to him. The cure is no surprise to him. And the cash in our stimulus checks, that's just pennies compared to what he has. He owns the gold and the silver and all the hills and could give us millions and millions in stimulus checks. And in his, his benefits, he actually does that. Now think about this holiday season we just went through. I thought about this past couple of weeks. What would Christmas in America be like without Jesus, without the love of God? I got to thinking about all the things there wouldn't be. There wouldn't be a Christmas tree business. There probably wouldn't be money that says, in God we trust on it. There probably wouldn't be even sports because God blessed our country industrially and we succeeded in many, many businesses And in our success, we were able to build these large empires called stadiums where people go and worship God on Sunday afternoon. But without Jesus, there wouldn't be a Black Friday and there wouldn't be a super surge of all these stores selling all this stuff. Because it was primarily because of the love of Christ and the search for God that the original pioneers came to this country. And God blessed that. And he's blessed our country because of our endeavor to reach out to missionaries and because of our willingness to trust and get behind Israel. God has blessed our country abundantly over and above what we could ever ask or think. Because he loves us. And uh, he still loves us. And he's still hoping that the remnant and the faithful will still turn to him and still appreciate his love. (coughs) Well, that's a long introduction, and I'm never going to get through on time if I have the rest of my message cover as much territory but I wanted to give you that at the beginning God's love is broad and it's great and it's ours how great thou art we just heard in a solo and if we could only understand that greatness and the great love that he has for us now I've got to confess if you're a fan of David Jeremiah (coughs) uh, Television preacher who I think is probably one of the best if you have to listen to somebody. But uh, David Jeremiah produced a message on the love of God a few years back. And I, again, at a thrift store, I found a copy of this message on the love of God. And I watched it, and then I, I was so impressed. I watched it again, and I watched it again, and I watched it again. And this week I watched it a couple more times. And I said to myself, you know, If I was a carpenter and somebody gave me a hammer, I would use their hammer. And uh, if somebody gives me a good sermon and it really touches my heart, I'm going to share it with you. But he does get credit for some of this outline. Now, I get credit for all the editorial comments and all the extra fluff, but the outline is his, and it's a a superb outline. I want to share that with you because I think it, it helps us understand the love of God. First of all, God declares his love... In 1 John 4, 8, and 16, we just saw that God is love mentioned two times. He is love. Now, he gives us a description of God's love in six different ways here. God's love is uncaused, it's uncaused. We do not work for it. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, and look at verses 17 through 19. Ephesians chapter 3, <coughs> starting in verse 17 and down to verse 19. There's just so much here, it's hard to just jump in and take a verse or two out, but be patient with me. It says in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. In verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He just wants us to have knowledge about his love so we can appreciate it and so that we can share it with others. Look, if you will, at Romans 8. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. Now, I know if Pastor Yoder were here, he'd have all these verses memorized and out in front of him, but I'm, I'm going to make you look them up because I want you to see them because the Word of God is important. But look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Verse 37 says, In all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul writes, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, who is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is uncaused. It's unreasonable. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Back up to Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and I before we were saved. We were ungodly. It's unreasonable that somebody would love somebody like me, but he does. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's unreasonable that he would die for the ungodly. The false gods won't do that. But the real God of the Bible will. And aren't you glad that he died for us? And he died for us and has given us his love. His love is not only on cause and unreasonable, it's unending. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 8, Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 8, <coughs> I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the ending, saith the Lord which is and which which was and which is to come the Almighty. He is Almighty and He is unending. In Psalm chapter ninety, or Psalm ninety and verse number two, we read this Psalm ninety and verse number two. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever. Thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting from, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. There is no end to his love. It started way over there before you were even born. It caught up to some of us just in the last few years, and, and it never is going to end. It's unending. You know, God doesn't stop loving us. You know, the, the, the doctrine of eternal security is so important and uh, a lot of people ask this question when we're out on visitation you know if my daughter's in jail for robbing a bank is she is she still saved well she's still your daughter isn't she and you know if your son goes to jail for murdering somebody he's still your son and God, when he saves us, we are put into his family. When we are born into our human families, we're in that family. I will always be a Forsberg until I die. And even after I die, the gravestone will say Forsberg. But when I got saved, the day I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was adopted into God's family. And it's an everlasting adoption because of his love. He's, he's not going to abandon me just because I abandoned him. He's not gonna he's not gonna hate me just because I slip and fall and do something stupid. I'll probably hate me more than he will, but he doesn't. He he just loves and loves and loves on us because his love is very unending. It's on a it's on cause, it's unreasonable, it's unending, it's unlimited. Go to Acts chapter 17, if you would. Acts chapter 17. And look at verses 27 and 28. Acts chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. That they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after Him, and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. For in Him, in the love of God, in Him we live and move and have our being. It's unlimited. He, he goes everywhere with us there's no end to his love and he's with us all the time everywhere look at psalm 139 if you would psalm 139 verses 7 through 12 you're still awake say amen okay i hope you're at least writing these verses down so you can check them out when you get home find out how much god really loves you psalm 139 verses 7 through 12 Where shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? And God here is saying, the psalmist is saying, where am I going to go from the love of God? It's everywhere. Verse 8, if I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Jonah was in the belly of the whale. And the love of God was still working on him, was still sustaining his life and preparing him for ministry. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. The Lord doesn't disappear when it gets dark out. He's still there. But the night shineth as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to thee. He goes everywhere. He's in all places at all times with us. That is amazing. No other God can do that. There's no other other false God or false cult that has such a loving God as we have. And our Bible tells us about that. It's unchanging. Psalm 33 and verse number 11. Psalm 33 and verse number 11. Aren't you glad that his love is unchanging? He he loves us with an everlasting love. Psalm 33 and verse number 11. We read this. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The love of God standeth forever. I mean, it's just there. It is unchanging. It lasts permanently. Psalm 102 and verse number 27. Psalm 102 and verse number 27. We read this (coughs) Psalm 102. In verse number 27, but thou art the same, talking about the Lord, thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Why? Because he's unchanging. You know, when I uh, first got married, I was madly in love. And and I'm still madly in love, but it's different now, 50 years later. You know, it's not any different with God. When when I got saved, he loved me a, a whole bunch, he's still loving me the same amount in, in our lives and in our marriages we age you know and all of a sudden our belly flops out and our teeth fall out and our ears give out and our eyes give out and, and you, you ask your wife how come you're not as romantically involved as we used to be she says well you know uh, you know we still love each other but it's different when you get older the love is on the inside more so than the outside because the outside kind of fails us but you know, my honeymoon with the Lord never ends. And, and his honeymoon, his attitude towards me never ends. That is phenomenal to me, that over the years, regardless of my physique and how I change and weight and my hair falls out, and I, how it doesn't, it doesn't matter how I change. His love is unending. And uh, so often with people and with one another, we we become bored and where we become unsatisfied and we drift into foolish behavior because we don't realize that God's love is is unchanging it's uncaused, unreasonable, it's unending, unlimited, unchanging, it's uncomplicated. Go to first John chapter four. I'm almost done class you're and all God's people said, amen First John chapter four I like this about it this is this is one of my favorite points. First John chapter four where we started (coughs) this morning, but this time instead of looking at verses 8 and 16, let's look at verse 19. Verse 19, now if you have a different translation, it's interesting, but in some of the other translations that have been, they have downsized, let me use that word for lack of a better term some of the other translations that have downsized and left out some good things some of the other translations say we love we love him but they leave out this part that because he loved us and and to me it, that's uncomplicated he loved me first and he sought for me and he sought for my soul you didn't go looking for god all well, some of you probably did. You were searching, you know, you were trying to find peace and the right path in life. But remember when Adam was in the garden? Adam didn't say, God, God, where are you? It was God who said, Adam, where are you? God was looking for Adam. And God, is, if you're saved, God found you. He wasn't lost, you were. And that's not very complicated. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us. The love of God reached out, reached down to us. And when we were in the miry mud in the pit of our sin and we thought we were having a delightful time, he just, he saved us, pulled us out of that mess and made us his own. The songwriter very simply writes, Jesus loves me, this I know. (laughs) or the Bible tells me so. A little girl said, Jesus knows me, this I love, which is not a bad translation. If you love somebody, you know them, and they know you. On, uh, what day is it today, Sunday? On Friday, I got a text. Merry Christmas to you and your family. But it was a number that I had never seen before. I think it was a New York area code. And I thought, aha, they're after Lynn's money. That's what they're after. But you know what? That text meant nothing to me because I don't know them. I I would imagine if I would have responded in a certain way, they'd have tried to sell me some product. And maybe it was somebody that knows me, but I don't know who they are how can you love somebody you don't know but how well you can love somebody you do know that's why studying the word of God and going to church and singing hymns is so important because the more we know him the better we love him and and it's just it's not that we have to love him it's we get to love him and he loves us Jesus loves me this I know for the bible tells me so I don't, I don't want to hear from people who don't know me, don't care about me. And, you know, I I'm, hope they're praying for me, but I, I like to be around the God of the Bible because you study the Bible, you get to know him. And you study his love, and you find that his love is uncaused, unreasonable, unending, unlimited, unchanging, and uncomplicated. He just loves you. Well, why should he love me? Because that's his nature. That's his person. God is love, and he loves us. So his word is declared in 1 John 4. His word is described in these verses we just read. And finally, his word, the word of God tells us where God directs his love. Because he does have a direction in where he sends his love. First of all, he loves his son. Matthew 3, 17 says, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased So God directs his love towards his son, obviously. Secondly, he directs his love towards Israel. In 2 Chronicles 7 14, it says, if my people, which are called by my name. It's interesting in the Old Testament how many times that phrase, if my people, is used. Do you know that if it weren't for Israel and the people of Israel, we wouldn't have a Bible? You say, well, Israel is, you know, they're they're always doing things wrong, and too many of them reject the Messiah. Doesn't matter. God loves Israel. And God says, if America, if you will bless and befriend Israel, I will bless and befriend you. And if you curse Israel, I'm going to curse you. That's the word of God says. So God directs his love towards the land of Israel. You can take Israel and you can put it inside Lake Michigan and still water ski around it. Israel just that little blurp of land. But God directs his love towards that country. And uh, we ought to be thankful you know, you don't go to Israel to get a blessing. You, you can go to Israel to be a blessing. David Jeremiah said that. He says, we took 12 busloads of people over there. 12 busloads of people, that's at least 12 wallets. I mean, that's at least uh, 12 busloads full of cash and wallets and credit cards. And, and the people, the leadership of Israel came to him and said, we are so thankful that you love our country enough to visit it. And what was amazing to me about Israel when we were there is that at the bus depot, there were buses from China, there were buses from Korea, there were buses from South America. I mean, people from all over the world were coming to the land of the Bible, the land where Jesus was raised. Now, you and I both know that Israel is surrounded by a bunch of countries that hate them. They're surrounded by people that would like to blow them off the face of the map. I feel sorry for those countries that want to try to get rid of Israel. I mean, I feel sorry for you if, if you happen to be in that group that you don't like Israel. God directs his love towards Israel, and we should too. We're one of the few churches that has a Israeli flag. I challenge you to find churches with Israeli flags. They're hard to find because a lot of people have abandoned their love for Israel. God didn't, and he won't. Not only does He direct His love towards His Son and towards Israel, He directs His love towards believers, towards you and I that are Christians. Turn to John 17. we got just a couple minutes left here. I'm almost done. You're still awake, amen? I'm just starting to get warmed up here. This is starting to get good, okay? John 17. It's a refresher course for me, but I needed it. John 17 and verse 23. Jesus is praying, and He says, Lord, I in them and Thou in me. That they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Jesus the Son is talking to God the Father, and he says, Thou hast loved them. Who's that? John 17, verse 23. That's us. That's believers in Christ. The Lord directs his love towards believers. He's love. He wasn't love will be love, he is love, and he loves believers, he loves you if you're saved, he even loves the unsaved, but we're in another category, we're in the saved category, so we get the premium love, he has a love towards the world, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, just a couple more verses here and we're on our way out of here, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, But God, who is rich in mercy, don't forget that phrase, he's rich in mercy. Now, I've, I've known a couple millionaires in my days, but I'm glad that I know the God who's rich in mercy. <laughs> I mean, I like having friends that are rich in money because, you know, they, they, the Lord needs those people and he uses those people and praise God, they want to use their money to glorify God. But God is rich in mercy, and that is such a phenomenal truth. For his great love, wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, we know that God so loved the world, John 3 16. Why? Because he's rich in mercy. He loves us as believers, and he even loved us, he loved us when we were dead in sins. And he quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. God directs his love towards his son, towards Israel, towards believers, towards the world, and he directs his love towards us. Last verse. You probably don't have to turn there. Some of you have been lazy. You haven't turned to many of these, but you're going you're gonna to go home and look at them. I know you are. But in John 3, verse 16, most of you have this verse committed to memory for good reason. It's a good verse to have committed to memory. The gospel in a nutshell. for God so love the world. That's not the business world, that's not Wall Street. That's people. For God loves people. For God, it says in verse seventeen, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn them, but that the world through him might be saved, verse verse sixteen. For for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you. You. I don't know how God, with millions of people on the planet and perhaps millions that are even Christians, I don't know how he can give individual attention as he looks down from heaven on just me. I don't understand that but he does, because his love is that way. He, he, he loves you, where you're sitting, in your chair, not the people, just you. He, he loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He loves you, and he wants to save you if you're not saved, and if you are saved, he wants to teach you about his love for you. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we follow. Let's stand and have a word of prayer. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You know, the greatest gift that I get every Christmas is the love of God. Just that little touch on my heart. He says, he says, Brother Michael, I love you. That's the greatest gift anybody could ever get. And he proved that when he sent his son. Greater love hath no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. He sent his son to die for me, that I might have a home in heaven. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted him as your Savior, what are you waiting for? He loves you like none other, and he wants you to get to know him. He wants you to, to, to learn about his love so you can share with others. He wants to give you the gift of his mercy and grace and truth. Why would anybody reject that? But yet people do in the hardness of their heart and their hardness of their sin. First question this morning, are you here this morning? You'd say, Pastor, I'm glad you talked about the love of God because I, I needed this reminder. I needed to be reminded of how much God loves me. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Sorry for not appreciating God's love the way I should have, but help me to appreciate it more in the days ahead. Second question, are you here this morning? You'd say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I've not been saved the Bible way. I've not been living for the Lord. I'm not looking at his word. I don't understand his love. I need to be born again the Bible way. Would you pray for me? Slip up your hand. If I can see it, I'll pray for you. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much, Lord, that you loved us first. And thank you, Lord, that you allow us to bathe in your love every time we open your word. We're allowed to be reminded of your love every time we sing praises to your wonderful name. And Lord, we're allowed and given the privilege to share your love with others. Help us, Lord, to realize that you've always loved us You always have and you always will and help us to share that message message with others classmates friends neighbors relatives help us not to be bashful about sharing the love of christ with others we'll thank you for the help that you give in christ's name amen as the piano plays the altar is open if you need to spend a minute or two in prayer please do